Speed. 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 Speed Cafe. Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hello again, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and this is the Speed Cafe podcast. My guest is Tim Edwards, checking out after nearly two decades of running the supercars team, variously known as Ford Performance Racing, ProDrive Racing Australia, and, lately, Dickford Racing. Edwards joins Supercars next year as General Manager of Motorsport, replacing Adrian Burgess. Now, Edwards is a survivor, defying results to stay at the helm of the former Ford factory team. He took over FPR in 2005 after a decade at Jordan Grand Prix in Formula One, peaking as team manager. Tim Edwards, welcome to the Speed Cafe podcast. And Tim, well, it's the end of an era. Well, I don't know about an era, but it's certainly the end of my 19-year tenure at this particular team for performance racing, ProDrive Racing Australia, Tickford Racing. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's the end of that chapter and uh, it's time to turn the page. So break it down. Why are you leaving Tickford Racing? <laughs> well, no different to I've already been quoted elsewhere. I d- it just felt like it was it was time for a change. Um, if you do anything for long enough, you know, clearly I um, I stick at it with different things because you look at the time I was at, pretty much I was at Jordan Grand Prix from the start to the finish. So, you know, I joined there at the beginning of 91 when they debuted that beautiful 7-Up Jordan and I left not long before the uh, the Russians moved in and it became Midland F1. So, but, you know, that was a, that particular um, stint was 14 years and, and this one's been a 19-year one. And I don't know that I ever, I mean, bear in mind, I came back from the UK to actually get out of motorsport um, and who would have thought that I'd do a, a 19-year term somewhere. But, yeah, I just, I just felt it was time for change and I wasn't quite sure what change was. I just knew I felt like I needed to do something different, you know, I'm the type of person that I go to work every day and put my heart and soul into it. And yeah, and um and at a point you feel like, okay, I need to I need to put my energy into something else. And you know, I've probably got another decade of work left in in me. And so, you know, I've probably got to the point where, well, do I do another 10 years here? Or do I just look to do something different for my for my, let's call it my final 10 year term of um uh, of uh, of my working life. Well, that moved back to Australia to get out of motorsport. That went well, didn't it? No. Well, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, it didn't quite go to plan, but um, you know, some people are just built for doing certain things, and you know, after the 17 years that I spent in Europe doing motorsport, you know, I thought with young kids, they were one and four and Trudy, um, I thought I needed to get out of motorsport to to be able to have, you know, quality time with them. Uh, but, you know, obviously this role or this sport isn't quite as taxing on you as, as Formula One is. You know, there was periods in Formula One where I could be away for a month, two months. And so um, part of it was that, getting back into motorsport wasn't going to put that strain on a, on our family. 
But the other part of it was, um, you know, I'd probably come a little bit disillusioned with with motorsport towards the back end of my Formula One career, and part of DR trying to sell me into um, to run this team um, wasn't just coming and seeing what the what the facilities were and what the people were like and what their capability was. It was actually going to two supercar races, one being the Grand Prix, not so much of a supercar race because obviously you you were there one there. But actually, going to to Adelaide and um, the uh, and experiencing my first proper supercar race, you know, for a long time because, well, probably forever because I had been overseas for, you know, pretty much since prior to the inception of of supercars, and you know, and going back to Adelaide reminded me of a lot of how amazing that place was from my Formula One days, but also. Um, made me fall in love with with um with motorsport again because what I found with supercars was was very appealing and um and that view hasn't changed 19 years on. So yes, I did come back with a plan to get out, but it was pretty easy to lure me back in with the you know with what was on offer with with supercars and this team. And DR there being David Richards. Correct. The famous boss of ProDrive who the Ford Works team um, 20 odd years ago to become FVR and yeah anyway so you've done all that survived all that now you're joining supercars this is classic poacher turn gamekeeper isn't it yeah <laughs> uh, well yeah I suppose it is um like uh, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm actually very excited about it. Be, and you know, and if you think about what I've done over the last um, twenty plus years, you know, I've always had an active involvement in the administrative side of the sport. Voluntarily, you know, I was obviously on the board for of supercars for four years. You know, voted on there by the pit lane. I then spent you know over a decade on the commission of supercars, voted by the pit lane. Um, but also spent six years on the board of Motorcycle in Australia. So I've kind of been doing these extracurricular activities um, on the administrative side um, because it interests me and uh, and I take enjoyment out of that. So this will be kind of the first time I've actually crossed the divide after whatever it is, 36, 37 years of being a competitor. Um, I'm crossing the great divide to the uh, to the administrative side and uh, I'm not sure whether it was that or the the appeal of the white shirt, but somewhere in there, um, um, you know, it kind of made sense to me. Yeah, well, it certainly put the uh, caravanning around Australia idea in the bin, didn't it? It, it did, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I did get a, a furrowed brow from Trudy when when I said this is what I was thinking about taking on because despite everybody saying, ah, you were never going around Australia, I can give you the tip. I was definitely going around Australia. In fact, when I communicated with Snowy last Tuesday that um, that I might not need the caravan I had on order that was due sometime in December, um, uh, uh, Andrew Crank, the CEO, said, okay, well, let's talk about it when I come over to um, to Adelaide on the weekend. And uh what he what he wanted to tell me was that he'd managed to bring my caravan order forward, and his surprise on the weekend was going to be that it was ready for collection. So I got to surprise him before he got to surprise me. Oh, life's tough, isn't it? Oh, so now <laughs> yeah, you have a caravan sitting around there doing nothing. No, no, uh, uh, the, he has a long list of potential buyers for it, but 
more the point that, you know, for anybody who says that this wasn't actually uh, Plan A, that Plan A was 100% um, caravanning. Uh, I will no longer be taking delivery of my beautiful snowy caravan. Uh, someone else will get the, yeah, we're going to do a for sale sign with me standing in front of it, one owner never used. So my loss will be somebody else's gain. Uh, yeah, well, you've gone chasing the big bucks. And we'll we'll come back to your new supercars role, but let's go back to Formula One, which you you said you'd been in since the start of Jordan with that, as you pointed out, that very pretty first Irish emerald green Jordan F1. It was an exciting time because you were there, you grew with the team, and near the end until it got taken over. It was becoming a serious team. Well, particularly the the, the late 90s was where we really, you know, hit our straps, you know, and obviously Frenson had a good chance of, of winning the championship in uh, 99, I think it was. Um, yeah, and, you know, a, a few things didn't quite go our way, including leading the race at Nürburgring, and after a pit stop, he went into turn one and uh, accidentally turned the car off in the lead of the race. So, um but yeah, we were we were a genuine contender, and it was actually quite an amazing thing when you consider we're a minnow of a team, um, absolute minnow. You know, I think the peak staff we ever got to was about two hundred and sixty, and we we're back down to just over two hundred when I left. And if you think, I think it was two thousand and well, it would have been my last year, two thousand and four. I think uh, Toyota, because obviously competitors um, at the time in Formula One. Uh, they had 1,100 staff. So we were a minnow of a team, but, you know, we had some amazing people work there. And I think, you know, the, the sort of the collaborative approach that they had you know, where everybody, um, you know, had some involvement, um, you know, really worked well. And as you say, we were, uh, we punched well above our weight. Um, um, the last couple of years, it got a little bit tougher because we were sort of struggling from a commercial point of view, dragging the revenue in. But um, other than that, um, it was and it was an amazing place to work. You know, Eddie was a great bloke to work for. Um, part of the reason I'm like I am and, you know, have a real passion for sport and and the the show side of the sport is, is that was very much the way Eddie operated. Yes, well, certainly you work with some greats, Eddie Jordan particularly, one of the great characters of Formula One. But... You know, Heinz Harold Frentzen, oh, Damon Hill, the, and and Ralph the, Schumacher. The, That's a pretty good lineup. Well, we'll go all the way back to the great himself, Michael Schumacher. You know, I worked with him at obviously Spa in '91. So, uh, I mean, the, the list of who I mean, Jordan was a and, and same thing. A bit like, well, is that why I am like I am? The way I try and bring through young drivers, you know, Chaz, Cam, etc. Um, that was Jordan. I mean, so many drivers started their Formula One careers at Jordan, Rubens Barrichello, Eddie Irvine, you know, there's it's a long, long list of um of drivers who started their their careers there. So um and that was great, you know, it was in, it was you know, when you have the younger drivers coming through, they don't tend to have as much baggage as some of the more experienced drivers. No, it's a it was a great era. And when you came back to Australia, I don't know if you remember, but when you joined FPR, which was a bit of a basket case at the time, 
I suggested to you that you were taking on a poison chalice. Um, <laughs> I do and, remember. Yeah, and some might say that you're doing it again by moving to supercars as the new general manager of motorsport. Uh, you you clearly like a challenge. Uh, I look, I, I, I don't shy away from a challenge. You know, if I if I believe in what I'm taking on, which I believed in in this team and this sport when I took on going to um, coming to this role, um, much like I, I I believe in in supercars and and where its future holds. So, and if I can play my my part in um, in that, then then that's what I'll do. So. I try not to listen to the white noise of people like you folks, you know, you know, um, you know, I don't mind taking on a poison chalice, you know, that, that makes it all the more rewarding if you actually do achieve something. Well, which you did at your time at FPR, Pro Drive Racing Australia, Tickford, la, la, la. Took a while though. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That's right. And would I have liked to have achieved more? Hundred percent, but it was interesting when I looked at the the helmet that the the team and Cam in particular presented to me on the weekend, and had all those stats on the back. You know, six hundred odd races, eighty odd wins, whatever, two hundred odd podiums. Um, you know, a couple of Bathurst and a championship. When you actually put it, when you actually put it all out in front of you on a piece of paper like that, yeah, well, that's that's not too bad. But hundred percent would have liked to achieve double that, treble that, but. Well, not in races, but in terms of uh, of podiums and championships, etc. But I still feel like, you know, we're, you know, I've achieved a lot, and and I've enjoyed my my nineteen years here, and I've enjoyed working with some amazing people um, throughout that journey. At the end of the day, the you know the team is the people. You know, anyone can go and buy a CNC machine. It's the people that you have working for really make a team or not. And uh, and either the the engineers, the mechanics, the Sparkies. Um, the drivers, you know, they all they all um, determine the the fate of a team, and I've really enjoyed with the people I've worked with over that pretty much the last two decades. When you joined FPR, there were well apocryphal stories about the absolute excess going on there. You know, <laughs> stuff falling out of cupboards that no one knew. Was that true? Uh, it, it, uh, it was an eye open to put it that way. Yeah, I joked for many years that um, one of the well, like the Aladdin's cave that that uh, that I sort of stumbled upon when I got here with theodolites and uh, and radar guns and um, and like I think the theodolite um, only ever got used to for Dave Patterson to build his deck at home, but but they had a theodolite, um, you know, twenty years ago. So they they they'd um. They'd spent up big, that's for sure. But um, but ultimately, I still don't really, you know, um, it's the people that make the team, not the fact that they might have a theodolite in the back cupboard. And look, not to be harsh, but I'm sure you've seen it. It's been suggested often that if you're a football team manager, you would have been gone way before now. Suggested by who, folks? <laughs> if 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 you well if well, well 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 social media for a start, but no, yeah, well, you know what I mean. I'm not going to get drawn into that. I you know I'll go back to what I just said a minute ago. If you look at what I've achieved, um, you know I'm I'm very content with what I've achieved over the journey here, and um, you know, and people who write those sort of comments, well, 
in in the football world. If you're not playing on my field, then you don't deserve to make that comment anyway. So it's very easy to sit at home and have an opinion while you're having a while you're having a beer. But you know, I'm very very proud of what I've achieved over the last twenty years. And sure, you know the highlights: uh, two Bathurst one thousand wins and a drivers' championship. Uh, but it could have been much more, couldn't it? Really. Oh, 100%. And I said that before. You always wish that you would achieve more. Um, and and despite the sort of the excesses that you talked about when I arrived here, you know, this team has not operated on on these dizzy height budgets that people, you know, perceive. You know, we've, we, um, you know, we haven't, you know, and I think part of that, you know, because, you know, success, you know, unfortunately, um, allows you to attract higher paying sponsors. So, you know, it kind of, it's a bit of an, um, you know, it actually works. The the forces are opposing, you know, you've got teams that are doing well, so they end up getting more money. That means they, they carry on doing better because they've got greater budgets to spend. You know, we've never operated like that. You know, we've, you know, I, we run a very tight ship um, and we're not wasteful. And, you know, that's that's not the way I operate. Um, you know, I, I make everybody justify everything that they want to spend their money on. And, in fact, it was quite funny looking at the helmet that, that was presented to me because there's a couple of guys who've been here my whole journey, um, Darren Jones and Ash Campbell. Uh, they were here before me, still here today, and both of them had um, – um, there was a lot of comments from from different people on there, but both of their comments were um, were related to – uh, my answer to them when they're trying to buy X, Y, or Z, um, you know, cannot wait till next month, <laughs> etc. So, um, you know, I do run a tight ship, um, contrary to popular belief, and you know, we we've always spent our um, whatever our particular budget was wisely and not and very frugally. So that's that, and that's the you know that, that's the cold hard truth. After all the efforts and the years and the results, it must have been gutting when your team you know, lost its primacy as the number one Ford factory team. Well, I mean, that was a Ford decision to, to exit from the sport. So um, when you, whatever it was, I think it's 2014, was it? Something like that. So 2014, 2015. But, you know, that's... That was that was a Ford business decision back in the day that that they were exiting the sport. So yeah, but but when they came back, they backed DJR. Backed primarily. him, asked them to be the homologation team. Yeah, yeah. Well, all of that. Yeah. Well, that's what they asked them to do, Mark. So just for the point of clarity, because if you want to go digging a digging a dirt hole, like you sounds like you're heading down the path of then we can end this conversation now. No, I'm not digging a dirt hole. I'm just pointing out the change after the many years that your organisation had put into being the works team. Well, don't, I'm not quite sure what you're referring to as a works team. Any team that gets manufacturer support, we weren't supported any more or any less than other Ford teams at the time. So... Um, this this team stopped being what you're calling a works team. Um, I don't know. 
probably 15 years ago or something like that, the, the dizzy heights of, um, of um, you know, that ended, you know, in the, in the early 2000s. So, you know, there's, there's uh, 12 works cars racing for Ford at the moment because we're all got a level of support from Ford, but it's not the, uh, it's not the higher levels of when you used to have what you're describing as factory teams. They haven't existed for, I don't know, 15 years plus. That just, that's, that just okay. haven't existed. Now, okay. you might Team still Mate. have... Well, I just think you're confused. You don't yeah, actually right. know. What well, you're I don't about. argue about it. There was just until you were, and then you weren't. You were the primary factory factory team. But yep, okay, move on. No, no, not uh, worth if, debating. If, it's not a debate, Mark. I'm just clarifying so that it's clear to you. Okay. Um, well, thank uh, you. We, we, I we, we that. changed the name of Ford Performance Racing. Um, um, because Ford do own that name, you know, we retained that for a period before, you know, they, they removed that. But the dizzy heights of factory teams that you're referring to haven't happened for, you know, at least 15 years, might even be more. So, uh, And yes, when they did come back into the sport, you are correct, Mark, they did choose a different homologation team. And we finally got there. All right. <laughs> Moving on. So, oh, actually... Before I move on, as you exit the building, as it were, Tickford Racing is cutting back to two cars for next year. Uh, many reasons why, but is that a good decision or does it just confirm that the four-car model was, was flawed from the start? No, it's never been flawed from the start. If you looked at 2019's results... Um, the team finished third and fourth in the team's championship. So I'd argue that's not a flawed result at all. Um, so we've had many years of success um, running four cars. But when you actually look at the current climate, you know, the the Gen 3 cars, you know, they're, they're not as simple um, as we were, were hoping. And then the commercial market as well, you know, the, you know, um, you know 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you would service a sponsor by taking them out to dinner. In in the modern era, servicing a sponsor requires a higher degree of, of video content, of digital marketing, all these things. And and so it actually makes it a, you know, trying to manage that and deliver, you know, best practice to all of your partners becomes increasingly difficult in the current era because you are required to deliver so much more. Um, it's not just seeing a couple extra people at a table that used to get away with 15, 20 years ago. So, you know, it's it's hard work. And and so it was 100% the right decision for this for this team in the current climate to scale back to two cars. So I was, you know, I was totally across that and driving that decision. Okay. And you said there the move to Gen 3 was not so simple. It's just one of the factors that, that you have to wind up in. in yeah. yeah, it was one of the decisions, one of the factors in in in, in a very big decision-making process was obviously the, the complexity of the cars. You know, the, they are labour-intensive to maintain. So, you know, you are, you know, and, and if you want to compete at the very front, you've just got to throw 
the kitchen sink at it and throwing the kitchen sink at it means that there's certain parts of this business that aren't even changing in size and we're going from four to two cars because we recognise that to win the championship, you know, we're, we're, we're playing a game of poker and we've just gone all in, pushed all the chips in and, um, and, um, and that's, you know, and the way to do that was to go to two cars so we can just go all the chips in to try and achieve a championship. And it's your new job, ultimately, to fix all the Gen 3 problems, isn't it? Well, it, it is. Yeah, that is, that is part of my portfolio. Um, but there's a large group of people involved in that. Um, you know, yes, I might be the head of uh, of the, the technical and sporting side of the business, but you know that's it's not just me that's doing this and there's you know there's a lot of input from from the teams as well the two homologation teams they have a big part to play in it they're big contributors in it um so you know the technical working group has representatives from all teams on it um, and all of them collaborate together about whatever particular issue happened at a particular race so there's a lot of people um involved you know much like my current role you know i'm the conductor in it um, and am I going to design a new widget to f fix a particular problem? Of course I'm not. That's not my wheelhouse at all, not my skill set. Um, so there's a lot of people who are going to contribute to, to improving what we've got. But I'd also point out what we've got is not totally broken. You know, I think we've still got cars that look amazing, sound amazing, bounce off the curves, look, looking amazing. You know, all is not lost, you know, as 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 people try to write. You know, the, the sport's still got a very you know, healthy following, and the cars aren't as bad as, as you know, yes, we've had a few parity issues that we're just we're navigating through, but there's a huge parcel of work in place to, to improve the aero, to improve the aero parity between both marks. So, you know, and it's just working through the process. No, no, I agree. The, the, the spectacle is not lacking, but the parity argument ongoing this season, well, as a team boss, it cost you. Yeah, hundred percent, and and that's what I say. So you know, yeah, yes, it's been frustrating on the, from a team's perspective, but you know we've been navigating through it, and we've we've got there in the end. But now, you know, and we've known for a while, you know, the the wind tunnel testing that's happening at Windshear soon, um, the various engine things that are sort of going on in the background. There's a lot of work going on, and and everybody's encouraged by that, and you know we. We did find ourselves in a position this year where parity was probably always going to be more of a focal point or focus because, you know, we had a much wider parity window up until this year because there were so many differences between the cars. And, you know, we called it gen, uh, car of the future, but, you know, during car of the future, we had multiple engine supplies for each side. We had all different different front suspension configurations and even parts of the rear suspension that was different between the cars. So when you've got all these differences between the cars, you, you know, you never got to truly pinpoint, well, is it the engine or is it the or the aero? Or is it actually that the the DJR front suspension is better than the triple eight front suspension or the Tickford engine's better than the DJR engine, etc. You know, there was there was so many differences between the cars that, you know, you know, there the, the had to be a wider parity window. Um, but anyway, yeah. that's not what we've got this year. We've all got the same suspension. Um, and so, um, and there is only one Ford engine supplier, there is only one GM engine supplier. And so it does probably highlight the, you know, the parity or bring it to the surface more than we've, we've had in the past. So, but 
the, the business has reacted and, and the money they're spending on, on this wind tunnel testing and whatever happens with engines, you know, is significant. So they are investing big time to to ensure that, that this is all put to bed. Yes, well, extraordinarily, according to my information. But as you say, the irony is that the cars are so close that it's made parity more difficult than ever. Well, yeah, they're so close in the fact that there isn't any team IP in the cars before, where there was a huge amount of team IP still in the previous generation cars. So that's what's now really flushed out the whole parity discussion in, to, in greater detail. And the fact that the tools that we've got um, aren't sufficient, but hindsight's a wonderful thing. Of course. Anyway, you're off next week. Do the wind tunnel tests in North Carolina. That will provide empirical data. Will that shut down the aero parity debate at least? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, but you know, but all sides are taking you know many different um, um, call them tweaks because we are only tweaking the car. You know, we, do, we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. But but both sides are bringing a lot of a lot of little tools that we can we can try in the tunnel and. Um, and it will give us the information that we've desperately been in need of. Yes, indeed. We need to go into next season without arguing about parity. So, Tim Edwards, a long and distinguished career which is continuing. Thank you for your time and your insight. My pleasure. A colourful career indeed. And more to come in his new role with Supercars. That's it for now. I'm taking a break, and Andrew Van Leeuwen will be in the chair on Monday with all the latest breaking news on the Speed Cafe newscast. AVL will also helm next week's Speed Cafe podcast, featuring a big-name Aussie international star. In the meantime, full coverage of all the major racing action around the world at speedcafe.com. And don't forget the Grassroots Racing Podcast, this time featuring sports sedan stalwart Terry Valley. I'm Mark Fogarty. Once again, thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production.